some of you follow the articles that I write in the Appleton Post-Crescent, and uh, you know that I recently wrote an article about two towns in North Dakota. This is from an experience we had while traveling, uh, taking Creed, our 13-year-old, uh, to be 14-year-old on Monday, uh, out to Montana to his chosen high school, Tamarack Springs Academy, which is 15 miles from Canada and about one mile from the middle of nowhere. And... Uh, so you have an understanding of where this place is at. They're west of the Rockies. Um, they, they look out the front window of the, of the, the home where the, where the people who run the school live. They look right into Glacier National Park. And they're about 30 miles up a gravel road. And um, they get U.S. Postal Service on Tuesdays and Fridays. They get cell phone service. When they drive a mile to where their mailbox is, they can usually get cell phone service from there. So on Tuesdays and Fridays, when they get their mail, they check voicemails. So they say, that you, if you want to get a message to Creed quick, uh, just send a letter. Because uh, there, there is no quick way to really get a hold of him. But he's enjoying himself out there. And while we were on the way out uh, to Montana to drop him off for that trip, we were going through Montana. We came across two towns. And if you read the articles, I'm going to give you much more detail about those two towns. And then, bear with me, I will give you a spiritual application to that. The two towns that we came to, first we came to Sanborn. Sanborn, North Dakota is on the east side of the state. And it was a desperate place that I had to get to because I was running out of gas. And when you're going through North Dakota, I don't know if you ever noticed this. You're going down the interstate in North Dakota. You're, people are already nodding. You don't even know where I'm going with this. You're going down the interstate in North Maybe you do because there's not much to talk about in North Dakota. But you're driving down the interstate... And uh, there will be a sign for an exit. You know, like you're coming through here and it'll say, Nina, next three exits, right? Uh, Nina, Winnicott Avenue or Nina Main Street or whatever it is. You're driving through the middle of North Dakota and the sign says, exit 289. There's no town. There's just an exit. That's all that's there, just an exit into the middle of nothing. And, uh, and sometimes you'll see one and it'll say, it'll say, uh, exit 241 Ranch Access. But there's no town, but you can get to one of the local ranches there. And so I'm driving down, and I got my, my tank is starting to get pretty low, and it's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the next town because the towns are starting to get pretty few and far between. So I looked off to the right, to the north, and I see one of those old-fashioned water towers that looks like an old coffee pot. And I, I said, I can get to that town, and if they got a coffee pot, if they got a water tower, I bet they've got a gas station. So we turned and went off that way and uh, went up to Sanborn, North Dakota. Population is 200 or so. And uh, they did have a gas pump, one. They had one single gas pump there at a, at a co-op that sort of was everything. It's where you bought seed, and it's where you came to get your tractor fixed, and it's where you came to buy a new corn picker. And I mean, it was just it was like the town business. There was also a hardware store. And the people were very, very friendly. As an example of the friendliness of the people in Sanborn, I went in to use the bathroom, and, uh, which was sort of comical in itself because uh, it was just such a small little bathroom that when you sat down, your knees hit the wall in front of you. And, and, and right here was a kind of a dark, greasy spot on the wall. You know what that's from? They're just leaning their head against the wall. So I come out of the bathroom, and my wife and children are walking away. They're going over to some barn, some big shed, with, with the guy from the co-op. 
just walking away. It didn't invite me. They're just walking. So I kind of scrambled over and caught up with them. And he's showing them a Model T that a friend of his has uh, remodeled. Uh, it's a roadster. It's a, it's, a, it's a hot rod. And on top, on the roof, he, have, he has put a fifth wheel, uh, a, a hookup for like a fifth wheel camper. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and he has taken this big fifth wheel horse trailer and he's turned it into a, 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 a motor home, basically. So you go in this horse trailer and there's a bathroom and a kitchen and bedrooms and all these things. But it's got a fifth wheel mount on top of a Model T. If you can picture that, just weird stuff. Anyway, so we took pictures of that. We talked with them. We had a nice time. And, uh, and we left Sanborn with a very favorable impression. It was sort of locked into yesterday. It reminded me of going to my grandparents' house when I was just a little boy in Otis, Colorado, out in northeastern Colorado, where nothing ever happens. I mean, there's no curb, there's no gutter, there's no sidewalk, there's just houses. And, um, and uh, this just place just reminded me a lot of that. The point about Sanborn is nothing changes. It's, it, it has almost no change at all. It stays the same. That's the impression. And you get a good feeling when you're there. But it's Sanborn stays the same. So then off we went to the west, continuing across. We were heading over to Teddy Roosevelt National Park, uh, a quiet little national park. doesn't get nearly as much attention. And we stayed there for a couple of days. And then we decided we needed some groceries. So we went, uh, got on the highway and went north to the first town, which is Watford City. Watford City. And as we were coming into the area there around, <clears throat> around uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park, the north unit, we noticed an awful lot of derricks. And I realized from some of my past reading and things that I was aware of that what we were seeing was this oil boom in North Dakota. They've got the Bakken oil shell formation out there, shale down deep in the ground that holds oil, but it's always been too expensive to go after that oil. It's hard to get at. It's hard to free the oil from the rock. And, uh, and it, it just was cost prohibitive to go after it. Well, but now the value of crude has gone up pretty high, and suddenly it's a little more lucrative to go after this oil down in the shale, and there are new technologies that make it cheaper to go after it. So all of a sudden, that oil down in the ground is gold, and everybody's after it, and there are trucks everywhere, and there are people everywhere, and there are these derricks going up, and they, 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 they sometimes you may be familiar with hydrofracking when they have to put a well in, and they have to get through some rock and they, they basically blast the rock with water. They do a form of fracking to get down at the oil. And so they use these huge derricks to make that happen. So all over the landscape, you see what used to be just wild plains, just, just very natural plains. You now see these derricks sticking up all over the place. And oil tanks and trucks, uh, semi-trucks, tanker trucks everywhere. And uh, when you get to Watford City... It's sort of the hub where all of that is coming together. There's trucks, there's pickups, there's people everywhere. There are, there are all these houses going because they're trying to make room for all of these people who are moving into the area and they have nowhere to stay. So they're putting up all of this very, very cheap housing on the outskirts of town. For example, they take a 20-foot camping trailer, a 20-foot tow-behind camping trailer, and they park them all in rows and they skirt the bottom like a mobile home and they put a big sign out front that says cabins for rent. Not my idea of a cabin. There are mobile homes. There are cheap little houses that are going up. This town is growing so rapidly, it's unbelievable. 
They're still caught in a little bit of yesterday. We were stopping at one of the grocery stores, and the grocery stores were definitely yesterday grocery stores, but they were tomorrow's prices, if you know what I mean. So many people coming in there. Ultimately, Watford City has become a boom town. Here's a little clip I've got about a boom town. Boom towns are typically characterized as overnight expansions in both population and money as people stream into the community for high-paying jobs, mining prospects, or other opportunities. Typically, newcomers are drawn by high salaries. Meanwhile, numerous indirect businesses develop to cater to workers often eager to spend their large paychecks, including, as we saw in Watford City, restaurants, restaurants operating out of vans or trucks just popping up all over the place. Often, boom towns are the site of both economic prosperity and social disruption as the local culture and infrastructure struggle to accommodate the waves of new residents. That was exactly the truth in Watford City growing just leaps and bounds, and they, and they are tripping over themselves with how to keep up with all that growth. This isn't the first time this has happened. Boomtowns have been around for a long time. Many arrived in California in the mid-1800s, hoping to strike it rich in the gold rush. They quickly learned it was hard to work. It was hard work to find gold. Most miners only found $10 to $15 worth of gold dust a day, and the merchants quickly realized they could get rich by selling supplies at high prices to miners. Sam Brannan, who was a merchant who set up a store right next to Sutter's Mill, made more than $2,000 a day in the mid-1800s, more than $2,000 a day selling to the miners who had nowhere else to go. Supplies were scarce, and the the demand was so great that the merchants could raise prices pretty much as high as they wanted. Those gold pans that they used trying to find the gold uh, before the gold rush cost 20 cents, uh, but soon were sold for $8 each. And the cost of an egg, a single egg, went to a dollar, and then $2, and then $3 an egg, which in today's prices is about $85 for an egg. I don't crave eggs that much. I looked up some real estate, Watford City, a vacant lot in Watford City, which has the the municipal infrastructure, you know, uh, uh, sewer and water, $60,000. In the middle of nowhere, I mean, it's not pretty out there. In the middle of nowhere in this city, you want to buy a city lot at $60,000. Over in Sanborn, on the other side of the state, you can buy a two-bedroom home, Everything there, yard, home, on the city or on the on the the village's uh, sewer and water, and the entire home is twenty five thousand dollars, less than half the price of just a lot in Watford City. It's how fast things are changing there. Let me ask you this, church family: Is it better to have a Sanborn faith or a Watford City faith? Don't answer too quickly. Let's go back to our scripture reading. Uh, You're very familiar with this passage in Matthew where Jesus is uh, telling the parable about the sower uh, in Matthew 13. I want to focus on just a couple of words there in in that story. It says, As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, wayside, and the birds came and devoured them, and some fell on stony places which did not have much earth. But they immediately sprang up. They grew fast, in other words, because they had no depth of earth. 
they grew fast. I remember when Kevin was, uh, our little Kevin was first born. You may, some of you may remember he was premature. He weighed in at two pounds at birth. And, uh, and he had some, some uh, health struggles there at the front end. And uh, one of the things they were concerned about was his eyesight. It's common in, in, uh, in premature babies that their uh, blood vessels in their eyes start to grow, as we were told by the doctor, like weeds. They grow very, very fast, just like this verse in the Bible says. They have no depth of earth. They grow fast, and then they die. And when they die, they create scar tissue that shrinks and pulls at the retina and can completely detach the retina, and the child goes blind. Worst case scenario. So we had to do some spot welding on his eyes to prevent that. Uh, but that's what it's talking about here. It grows rapidly, but it has no depth of earth. It says in, uh, in verse 6, they were scorched and withered because they had no depth of root. A slow-growing tree is stronger and will live longer than a fast-growing tree. I'm reminded of, uh, I participate in a couple of songwriting groups, and uh, the Nashville Songwriters Association has a, a local group up in Green Bay, and we were meeting up there, and there were different songwriters coming together. And this new couple came in, had never been to any of our meetings or anything, had never shown their face before, but they had written a song together, a country song. I still recall some of it. It was called, I'm a Truck Man. At least it was right in, in the right genre, correct? It's a country song. It's called I'm a Truck Man. And, you know, it was a nice start. To someone who's starting out writing music, I thought it was a very nice start. Well, they were convinced that uh, this, was the, uh, this was the sign of good things, and they were packing up and moving to Nashville after writing a song. And as gently as we could, the rest of us were trying to encourage them to uh, work on it, develop a little bit more. Uh, foundation here in your songwriting and some connections before you up and move to Nashville. I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3. First Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. And he goes on to explain where they ought to be a little bit uh, more advanced in their learning than they are. But he says, I had to give you milk. I couldn't give you the meat. I had to give you the milk. And he differentiates. He makes that point that not everybody is ready for the same message at the same time. Flip over to Hebrews. We won't do, debate here who the author of Hebrews was. I know that there are different uh, philosophies about that. But read Hebrews 5. Let's read Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 together. And it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Same message. You ought to be ready for the, for the meat, but you still need the milk. So what is the point that we need to learn from these scriptures and from these examples? Well, simply this. Paul makes it clear that there needs to be differentiation in the message 
that we give to people based on where they are. He, he, he customizes his message to the background, to where a person is at in their spiritual journey. Ellen White says, as I preach the gospel to the poor, I'm instructed to tell them to eat the food that's most nourishing. I tell them to eat the food that's most nourishing. She says, I can't tell them, well, you can't eat eggs or milk or cream and you shouldn't use butter in the preparation of food. They're not ready for that message. She says, the gospel must be preached to the poor. The time has not yet come to prescribe strict diet to them. The gospel first. The gospel is the milk. The gospel is the most important part. I want you to see one other thing with Paul. I want you to analyze something about his preaching. Turn with me to Acts 9, shortly after his conversion, right after his conversion, captured in Acts 9. So this is really the beginning of Paul's ministry. Acts chapter 9, I'm looking at verses 18 through 20. It talks about the, 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 something fell from his eyes like scales. He received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized right away. It was after his encounter with Christ. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and then Saul, uh, uh, Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Okay? So he's, he's nurturing, he's learning. He's, he's really a brand spanking new Christian, and he's learning some things, spending some time with the, Christi- with the Christians there. And it says, immediately he preached to Christ, in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. What was the message that he preached? He preached the Christ, the basic gospel message, the milk. He preached that, and everybody who heard him was amazed. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. That was his message. Jesus is the Messiah, and what the implications of that are. Nothing more complicated, just the milk of the gospel. So let me ask you again. Is it better to have a Watford City faith growing, 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 but having no root? Or is it better to have a Sanborn faith not growing at all? Sanborn is unchanged, ungrowing. You know, there needs to be growth. Either way, there needs to be some growth. Some will grow faster and some will grow slower. But there needs to be growth in our faith. Constant growth. If you are not growing in your faith, you are declining in your faith. Paul, three years after his conversion, as uh, is written in Galatians 1, it says that he went to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem to take on the Jews. Now Now who's he speaking to? These are people who grew up in the Bible, probably memorized great portions of the Old Testament, studied under the rabbis, knew those Old Testament scriptures as well as anybody. They were armed with that portion of the word. After three years of preparation, then Paul went to Jerusalem and began preaching to those people and getting into some more difficult conversations and defending uh, the Christian faith. So he went three years of growing, and then he went to Jerusalem. So, if it's important for us to grow in our faith, how do we do that? I I know what the standard answers are to that. 
you know, we spend time in the word and we pray and we commune with Christ. And I, I don't want to take anything away from that. But there's more to growth than, uh, than those things as they are named. Something behind it. I'm quoting here again from Ellen White. She says, as with life, so it is with growth. It is God who brings the bud to bloom and the flower to fruit. It is by his power that the seed develops. First the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. She quotes from Mark. And the prophet Hosea says of Israel that he shall grow as the lily. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. That's from Hosea. And Jesus bids us consider the lilies, how they grow. That's from Luke. The plants and flowers don't grow by their own care or their own anxiety or effort, but by receiving that which God has furnished to minister to their life. This is an important concept. Don't miss this. The child cannot by any anxiety or power of its own add to its nature, add to its stature. No more can you, by anxiety or effort, of yourself secure spiritual growth. You can spend all the time you want in the Bible. You can spend all the time you want on your knees. The effort that you produce does not cause growth. What causes growth is Christ in you. The plant, the child, grows by receiving from its surrounding that which ministers to its life, air, sunshine, food. With these gifts of nature, what these gifts of nature are to animal and plant, such is Christ to those who trust in him. He is their everlasting light, a sun and a shield. He shall be as the dew unto Israel. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass. He is living water, the bread of God, which cometh down from heaven and giveth light unto the world. In the matchless gift of his son, God has encircled the whole world with an atmosphere of grace as real as the air which circulates around the globe. Try to picture that. That grace is out there, something tangible. And it's like an atmosphere around the whole world. God's grace. All those who choose to breathe this life-giving atmosphere will live and grow up to the stature of men and women in Christ Jesus. Not because of their effort, but because God is there for them. Because his grace is always there. They only need to be willing. Many have an idea that they must do some part of the work alone. They've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, but now they seek by their own efforts to live aright. And I would add to her words, that is our human tendency, to try to do it ourselves, to believe we can do it ourselves. But every such effort must fail. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Our growth in grace, our joy, our usefulness, all depend on our union with Christ. It is by communion with him daily, hourly, by abiding in him that we are to grow in grace. He is not only the author, but the finisher of our faith. It is Christ first and last and always. He is to be with us, not only at the beginning and end of our course or the beginning and end of our day, but at every step of the way. David says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Well, what lessons can we draw from all of this? Certainly, we need to recognize that not everybody grows at the same rate. And there is danger in growing too quickly without a proper foundation. We can outgrow our root. And we need to recognize that for ourselves and our own growth, but we also need to recognize that as we are trying to help other people grow. Sometimes, I think, as Adventists, we make the mistake of starting 
on fundamental principle 28, and then fundamental principle 27, and then fundamental principle 26. You know what I'm saying? Rather than fundamental principles number one, two, and three, which is the gospel of Christ and his sacrifice for our salvation. When people talk to you about your faith, do you feel more comfortable to defend the Sabbath or to defend how you eat and what you eat? Or do you feel more comfortable to defend Christ as your Savior? That perhaps is telling as to where we need to grow. And how many times have you heard stories of Adventists, well-meaning Adventists, but they figuratively take their student, open their mouth, put in a tongue depressor and a funnel, and try to force down these doctrinal beliefs that are not the foundation of the gospel. It's the meat that comes later. The milk must come first. Point number two, we must always be growing in our faith because if we're not growing in our faith, we're falling away from Christ. We must continually seek to grow. Sanborn is a wonderful, uh, just a, a lovely little community that's not growing. That's good for them. I think that's good for them. I think that's exactly what they want to be. But that's not a good model for our faith. If our faith is still the same as it was back on our conversion day, perhaps back when we were a teen and we look back at it fondly, like it's something in a scrapbook, then we haven't grown. We need to be excited about new truths that we are learning today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, continually growing, becoming more reliant upon Christ and being able to share things with others. And then, of course, these words of Ellen White, point number three, that growth, no matter how hard we try, we cannot make that growth occur. Just like a plant cannot grow because it wants to. Just like a child cannot be bigger and stronger because they want to. It is Christ in us. Our part is to be willing. Yes, we need to be in the Bible, in the Word. Yes, we need to be on our knees communing with Christ, opening ourselves to Him. But the growth is going to come from Him, not from us. We need to rely on Christ for our growth, not on ourselves. And in so doing, we grow from milk to solid food, to the meat of the gospel. And we're prepared to defend our faith at any level no matter who we come in contact with, to share. Pray with me. Mighty God in heaven, we see around us evidences, just as Jesus told the story, the parable of the sower, we see those evidence of things that grow quickly but have no strong foundation, and they quickly fail. Father, first of all, help us not to have that kind of faith. And help us not to plant that kind of faith in others. Second of all, Father, we recognize the need to grow. It's very easy to be complacent, to become comfortable with the way things are, to believe that we have secured the knowledge of the truth, and to just go on day to day just as we always were. But Father, you challenge us to grow. You challenge us to progress from the milk 
to the meat and to meteor and meteor understandings of truth. We commit ourselves to you this morning to grow. And Father, we understand that growth does not occur, occur because of us. It does not occur because we make it occur. It occurs because we open ourselves to the growth that can come through Christ, letting him dwell in us, letting him lead us into new truth. And Father, it is our prayer this morning that you help us to grow. We open ourselves to you for a strong, consistent, well-grounded, well-rooted growth of faith. Not through ourselves, but through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Mighty God. Still all my song shall be Nearer, my God, to Thee. Nearer, my God, to Thee. Oh, Father, that is our prayer this morning. That is my prayer, that You will draw me nearer and You will help me grow. Let me not be satisfied with the faith that I have, but to continue to grow. And Father, that is my prayer for everyone here this morning that each one of us will grow nearer to Thee. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.